Ledger is a writing podcast as seen on TV. I'm your host, Austin Wilson. Welcome to the show. Uh, It means a lot to me that you're here. As you can tell by the title, today I have writer Tommy Dean on the show. He not only writes, but he edits, teaches creative writing. Uh, He serves as the editor for both Fractured Lit and Uncharted, which are two great digital lit mags that you should go check out. They publish a lot of flash fiction. They run contests. So if you're a writer or if you know a writer who's submitting work and, and really wants to get it out there, those are two places that you can go check out. Please do. Also, Tommy's book, Hollows, uh, it's a collection of flash fiction that's forthcoming uh, or is already out, depending on when you're listening to this, from Alternating Current Press. I'm going to make sure there's a link to buy the book, uh, along with links to his work and and everything that he does uh, in the show notes. But you can also easily access everything that he has, uh, that he's doing currently on his Twitter account, where he's he's very active. That's at uh, Tommy Dean Writer. It's all one word after the at symbol. Um, if this is your first episode of Ledger, welcome. Hey, like I said, I- I'm super happy to have you here. It, it means a lot to me. Um, make sure you go listen to the previous interviews, too, if you haven't already. Uh, I just recently had on Robin Sloan. Uh, he's the New York Times bestselling author of Mr. Penumbra's 24-Hour Bookstore. We talked a lot about computer coding, which is another thing that, that Robin does. I'm really interested in talking to, to writers of all kinds, and I wanted to talk to him about the, the confluence between writing computer code and writing fiction, and if there is any, and, and how one forms the other. It was a super interesting conversation. I was, I was glad to have him on. Uh, before that, I had on Hugo finalist uh, and sci-fi author himself, Alec Nevela Lee. Um, he wrote a book called Astounding, that is a bio of L. Ron Hubbard, Isaac Asimov, Robert Heinlein, and John W. Campbell. All in one. It's amazing. A super cool look at contemporary sci-fi within the Western world and, and its origins. Uh, I highly recommend reading it if you are into sci-fi. Um, if you're not into sci-fi, who knows? Maybe that's the book that'll, that will do it for you. Uh, loved getting to, to talk to Alec about that. And before Alec, I, I talked to best-selling author Erica Swyler. She wrote Light from Other Stars in the book of Speculation. Um, she's fantastic. Light from Other Stars is another sci-fi novel that I highly recommend to everyone. So uh, go check those interviews out if you haven't already. Um, and then, yeah. Let me know what you think. Uh, you can do so uh, either by going to my website, austinrwilson.com. You can also follow me on Twitter at ledger underscore podcast or at Austin R. Wilson. I also have fiction forthcoming uh, from an as, unannou- as yet unannounced issue uh, from Ahoy Comics. Not sure which one it's going to be in, but not only do they publish comics, but in the back of their comics, they publish prose fiction. Uh, they've, pre- they've previously published one of my stories called B-Rasts. Uh, and there's another story coming out from them called Hate to Meet You. They haven't announced the, the issue yet, as I said, but once they do, trust me, I'll let you know where it is. Um, yeah, you can also read a lot of fiction on my on my website. Uh, but also I have five short comics coming out in Tales from the Quarantine, which was a successfully kickstarted collection of what I would call flash comic book fiction. One page or short, shorter, you know, like four pages maybe. Um short comics. Uh, I have five that are in that. Uh, One of them is completely brand new, never before published anywhere else. Four of the other ones uh, are on my website. You can go check those out now. Uh, And I'm always publishing stuff on my website, prose and comics, and there's a lot more on the way. And and obviously I'm constantly submitting my work to get it out there for for people to see. So uh, if you are here, you like the show, 
please share it with, with every writer you know. You know, why why just settle for a few of them? Literally every writer. Tell them about the show. Uh, I want to talk to as many writers uh, from as many places in the world and as many types of writing as I can. That's really my goal. Um, I really just love the community of, of writers coming together and talking to each other. That's one thing Tommy and I talk about in, in the interview, um, you know, celebrating the wins and commiserating over... Uh, the harder times when you're at the keyboard uh, or the page, whatever, however you do it. Um, community is, is a big deal to, to me and it is to Tommy as well. And that's one of the things he's, he's doing really well. You know, he's, he's building this community up around him and with the people around him. That's a big thing uh, that we build the community together. Um, and that's one of the reasons why I love, why I love doing the show and talking to people. So, um, I, I, yeah, if you like this, please tell people, um, rate it, review it, subscribe to it, wherever you get podcasts, it's basically available in all those places. Um, I will appreciate it every single time it happens. It doesn't matter how many times it'll happen. Um, because that's a big deal to me. I love, I love, you know, reaching more people, talking to more people. Um, but Hey, as for now, let's get on with the show. Tommy Dean, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to talk to you today. Absolutely, yeah. Um, we met online uh, through Twitter and uh, sort of uh, came together over the idea of, of flash fiction, uh, of writing flash fiction and loving flash fiction and reading it. And um, that's kind of where I want to start. I really want to get your, um, I guess, your bio and your your origin story as it goes with with flash fiction. When did you first encounter flash yeah, that's a great question. Um, so I started the way that maybe a lot of people started um, in undergrad. Um, I was uh, assigned that first sudden uh, fiction book, the one that was uh, published in 1986. Um, and so I started reading those very short stories. I mean, they were flash, but they were also felt like short, like short stories that were pushed to a flash kind of word count somewhere around a thousand words up to, I think they ran almost to 2000 to be honest. Um, and in some ways um, I, I was tooling around with flash, you know, from the very beginning, just writing in these kind of smaller vignettes, trying to put them together to make longer stories. Um, and I wasn't finding much success with those, especially in undergrad. Um, and then when I went to um, my MFA program, I had already kind of started to transition uh, into writing those kind of stories and like a lot of people too, I think I was reading places like Smoke Long uh, Quarterly, which is, you know, like just the top and one of the longest running Flash magazines um, where I found people like Kathy Fish, uh, Dan Sean, Stuart Dybeck were just writing these amazing short pieces that made me feel something, you know, in less than a thousand words. Um, and so from there, um, you know, I, I had written some failed novels like a lot of people, but Flash just was something that like... I could write in 30 minutes to an hour, a rough draft a lot of times, or if not, you know, over a couple of days, I could write what felt like, you know, a full story. Um, and then I just tr tried to get them published. For sure. Yeah. And so a lot of stuff that I want to come back to in that. Um, one of the first things is um, the time it takes you to write a story and uh, potentially the, the idea that some people might have about flash fiction being easier to write. Um, because it's shorter. Um, yeah. Talk to me about that. Do you think writing flash is easier than writing a, a longer uh, story? I mean, 
Not necessarily. I mean, in some ways, I think it's harder, especially in the beginning, just because you're figuring out what needs to be added and what needs to be left out um, or what needs to be, you know, cut, I think are some of the hardest things to get. You know, when I work with writers now, um, it's really hard because, like, there's a lot of backstory that feels innate to the writing process of the draft for the writer but the reader rarely needs that much backstory in flash um you know i'm all about you know getting the characters to act or react on the stage of the story and backstory just doesn't have a lot of place for that it has to kind of be ribboned in um you know and and small sentences here or there um or images and so i think in a lot of ways finding the ending of a flash or finding the, you know, the central metaphor that kind of ties it all together can be really difficult. It could take years. Um, you can finish a draft and feel like, man, it's kind of done. But then like, if you have some beta readers read it and they're like, well, I'm not getting this part. Or I'm not feeling this part. or I'm not seeing this part. Uh, it can take some years before something clicks to kind of find that. Um, but then there's times when like, it can't be written in 30 minutes to an hour and you just the muse or whatever you want to call it is just there sitting on your shoulder, you know, whispering, you know, nice things and nice word, you know, your language is just humming. Um, so I think it can be done quickly, but a lot of times, yeah, stories just get left, you know, in draft status until you find something that jogs your memory um, to kind of come back to it. Um, I made this mistake in undergrad. I was working, you know, with a poet professor and I was like, well, you know, like you're writing poetry is probably a little easier to get done. Right. <laughs> and I was so like, I, I, I'm embarrassed to even right. <laughs> think about it now because in a lot of ways, like just to get an idea of a draft of a, a poem or a flash or whatever, like a first draft in some ways. Yeah. Like, cause you're not writing 5,000 words. Could it be shorter and easier to get to? Sure. But then the revision process or the mining process to find those perfect words, those perfect images um, to really reveal your characters in, in such a short space um, can take, like I said, can take, you know, days, months, years, um, decades, right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> in some ways. Um, so I think there is a mistake in some ways of thinking, well, you're only writing, you know, 500 words. That's easy. And in some ways it is. Like if you just spill your guts for 500 words, a lot of people could do that, but to make it into a fantastic narrative where every sentence and every word is humming and every language in every image um, is fitting, you know, the, the story uh, can be very difficult and it can take a while. Yeah. I think the, well, so yeah, there's a lot there uh, for us to, to unpack. Um, one of the things that you said that, that I think is really, really awesome and, and interesting is, um, knowing what needs to be in the story for the reader and how that sometimes and kind of almost more often than not doesn't match up to what needs to be in the story for the writer. Like how do you decide what's your process for, for realizing like, is it capable? Are you capable of doing it by yourself um, enough? Or do you always need an editor to come in and be like, okay, this thing right here, it's really great writing. The reader doesn't need it. How, like, what's your process for finding that, that balance? Yeah, I think it's a, it's a great question. And, and sometimes I forget how long I've been doing this and how much I've been like writing flash almost exclusively. So my process, I think is a little different than lots of people uh, in the sense that like, I'm kind of editing as I'm writing. Okay. Um, and so I've, you know, I've got the 
and there's all this whole new like research right on like some of us have internal thoughts and some of us don't um which just wild you know it's just wild to me that like some people don't and luckily i do and i think most writers probably do so right i tell me i don't know about this some of us okay so there was some kind of thoughts. uh yeah, there's some kind of article, and I feel awful not, like, giving you the name of the article, right? It's like, well, my, you know what I mean? Like, the research shows. I, I don't mean to be that way, but apparently, yeah, um, some people only think in images. Some people think, you know, in this running mile, monologue. Um, some people don't hear anything, so maybe that's why they externalize really? a lot of their verbalizations. Yeah. Um, and so I read this, and I was like, whoa, wait a second. Uh, how do you, how do writers write without this? Right. Cause I definitely like my stories start generally with a first line and generally I hear that first line either from a character or the narrator kind of talking to me. It just kind of pops up. Right. Um, and I don't think everyone has that or writes that way. And so for me, without that first line, I'm not getting the story onto the page. And I think a lot of people, um, are willing to just go to the blank page and just, you know, just start writing and, and they'll clean up and they'll fix up or they'll revise. Like they need the giant lump of clay. Um, and I need that first line. I don't need that giant lump of clay. Usually I can usually just go from that first line and follow the character filtering. It's almost like method acting yeah. in a way. Like I'm not an actor by any means, but once I pull up that voice of the character in that first line, I can usually just run with it and put that character on the stage, filter all the details through the character. And I'm constantly thinking like, how would this character see the world? How would the character smell this part of the world? Um, how would this character react or act based on this stimulus from other characters? And that's kind of what I do uh, when I write Flash, um, so a lot of times, like I said, I'm revising as I'm going. Um, and if the works, if the storytelling is not going well, then I'm not clued into what that character is thinking and feeling and seeing in those moments. And sometimes I have to take a step back. Um, and then usually what happens is that piece doesn't move on for a while and I'll just start a new one. Um, so my process is, like I said, kind of different than a lot of people. So does that make sense? Does that first line, your sort of ability to recognize it as uh, a part of the story, the beginning of the story, does that same mechanism that you have then move into the rest of the story? Can you then come back to a line and be like, this line very clearly doesn't serve this story because I know it doesn't relate to the first line in, in enough of a, uh, a direct way. Usually, yeah. Usually, it means like, "Ooh, I'm really, I'm really fumbling here to figure out who this character is," yeah. and I'm not doing it through action. I'm trying to do it through my thinking brain um, instead of like my subconscious writing brain. Uh, this is all kind of uh, people go like woohoo, but it's just what happens uh, in my yeah, head, no, right? I mean, that's how. It um, and so sometimes, yeah. I mean, I definitely give it to beta readers to make sure that like the images are making sense or that like they are seeing kind of what I'm seeing. Um, but I, yeah, hopefully from this point forward kind of go, Oh, I'm getting, I'm creeping into backstory. That's not putting pressure on the character or not giving the context that I need. Uh, I generally will stop. Um, and I may even just cut it out right then and there. Um, because I know it's just not going to help me carry forward. So I saw you mention that on Twitter, um, backstory that puts pressure on the character. Can you un unpack that for us? Tell me what that means. Yeah. Yeah, so I think sometimes we write backstory because we're trying to learn who the characters are, which makes makes sense, right? But if it's not putting pressure on, like, why this character, why this moment, 
you know, why this story, right? Like this is uh, what I would call in Flash the hot spot for the character, right? You only get this one moment in this entire, you know, this character's life. And that's kind of what Flash does. Um, So if you're giving me all this backstory that doesn't put pressure on the action that they're going to make, and it's just like, you know, he had a job in accounting, but the job in accounting has nothing to do with the character in this moment, then we probably don't need to know that. Um, it doesn't actually reveal as much about the character as maybe we thought when we first wrote that, like, oh, he's an accountant. And here was the time that, you know, he messed up, uh, you know, an audit that he didn't get right. But if the story's not about, you know, the audit or the work or anything like that, or you can't tie it back to the way he feels about his daughter. And this is the why the way this is why he's buying her this present for this birthday. Right. Yeah. Um, and this is all just kind of off the top of my head. Like if none of that is putting pressure on the character, then we, don't need it in flash. Uh, we only need the ribbons of backstory that kind of give us an idea of who the character is and why they're doing what they're doing in this moment. Do you think that translates to longer form fiction? Uh, I think it can. And I, I'll be honest, you know, I obviously haven't been as successful with longer form fiction, so it's not quite my milieu as much as flash is. Um, but I would argue that any kind of backstory that again, doesn't, give us openness up to revealing more of who the character is and why they're here in these moments and why they're making these choices probably doesn't need to be in the story. Yeah. Um, would be my argument uh, against just backstory for the sake of backstory. I think even in longer work, I think we always want to keep moving forward. I think we want to escalate um, the stakes uh, or the, the conflict as much as possible. And in Flash, we want to do that, at, you know, at a hyper speed in some ways compared to like a 20 page story um, where each little thing is incremental. And in Flash, I feel like you're dropping, you know, your houses are falling from the sky as your character is trying to run away from them as they're falling. Whereas, you know, like a like a short story and it's like hail instead of houses right. um, in some ways, if, if that's a good metaphor. Well, what's funny is, um, and I'm sure you'll understand this, um, because as I was listening to you, I immediately was thinking of a story that I was working on yesterday. And I was like, oh, yeah, you know what? Some of that stuff that I wrote, I can cut because it was me learning the character and it was right. important. But for a reader this thing that I wrote about this other thing that happened that does not have immediate uh, effects on the main story. Um, it doesn't need to be there. Yeah. And I, and I don't want people to think that like, that I'm telling like that this is the only way to write. No, Cause it's no. not, it just happens to be my process. Um, I just, uh, I wish that I could just sometimes sit down and just write reams and reams of stuff about characters to help me figure out what they're going to do in the moment. Um, but I try to get, um, I think George Saunders has some kind of quote about like, you want to get to the part that's like not the a happening or the B happening. You want like F or J or Z, right? Like I I've said this a lot lately, but like, unfairly or not, we're competing against every story that's already been written or every movie that someone has watched. So the plot in a lot of ways is going to be repeated, but the characters are not right. We still have the opportunity to make them as unique and specific as possible. And one way of doing that hopefully is yeah. Getting rid of some of that backstory that doesn't matter as much, but if you have to write a bunch of it to get to who the character is, all we care about as a reader is the final product. Oh, yeah. 
what I'm talking about now is first drafts. I'm talking oh, yeah, about yeah. like me, you know, I'm like helping as an editor kind of thing to help see these kind of events and other people's stories. I mean, I don't always see them in my own either. I think we all need help, right? Writing is not, I mean, as much as it's a singular thing, like we've all had that, you know, the luck or the, the uh, pleasure of having somebody else help us um, figure things out that we can't always see. Well, that's a, another uh, really important aspect of some of the stuff that you do. Um, You have two um, magazines, so to speak online, you have uncharted and uh, fractured lit and um, you teach classes about flash and and fiction and having another set of eyes. um, It really changes a lot of stuff about the process. And I would say adds a really important aspect to the process because I can stare at a, a thing that I wrote for, for years and read it for years um, and think that I got to the point where it's ready. Um, but the second that another person reads it, they might, they might literally be like, there's a typo here and I've been reading it for years. Um, it's crazy how big of a, how big of a change it can, it can make. Well, and our brain just wants to fill in those things, right? Especially the typos and those kind of things. Like it just fixes it for us. And a lot of times it's about like, you can only hold so much of the idea, even of a flash in your head at one time. Um, and then when you're rereading it yourself, a lot of times you're catching the things that like you did well, which is good, right? Like that's, that's how you sustain writing. If you only caught the things that you were doing bad over and over and over again, uh, it would be hard to keep coming back to the page. So our brain, you know, kind of protects itself in some ways and sees all the good things um, that you're doing. And and we have certain strengths that we're better at than others. Um, and even as far as like editing goes, like, am I the best copy editor in the world? No, absolutely not. But I hope that I'm really good at structure of Flash and I'm really good at showing you like, oh, you revealed the character really well here through this opposition or, oh, hey, this is kind of conventional what this character is doing right now or the way that you've described them. Like we've heard this, you know, quite a few times because I've read, you know, thousands of stories, right? Um, But then there are certain things that, yeah, we're just not as good at. And so finding someone else, um, especially some beta readers at first, for sure, um, just to to find the spots that you're missing, I think is um, it's huge. Uh, And you want to put your best foot forward when you're you're publishing anyway or trying to publish. it really becomes from the point where like the writing, you know, the writing on the page, hopefully, you know, is hard, but hopefully there's a little bit of joy and there's a little bit of fun and there's a little bit of all of that. Um, and then when you start the, the publishing process, uh, I think you have got to let a little more of the, the business side in um, to make the story the best that you can. Yeah, I, for sure. Is that, have you been writing since you were very young? Uh, no, not really. Um, I didn't really start like writing, writing until um, my freshman year of college. I think I, I've read forever. Uh, I've always read. I loved reading for a while there. I just didn't think I could do what other people were doing um, until like I, you know, I, I took a short story class on a lark kind of, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I love this. Um, I don't know if I'll ever be any good at it, but like. I want to try to do what those people, you know, made me feel um, when I was reading their work. Um, And so I'm not one of those, you know, those baby writers, you know, that started when they were seven, eight, nine, ten. It didn't start until college, Um, which is one of the reasons I asked is when you said let the business in um, as you're publishing. um, 
that was a thing that it took me a long time to realize and a long time to try and even aim myself to start doing it because I was someone who wrote from a really young age, but the idea of like publishing it didn't ever really come into my life until I was like 20 years old. Not that that's when I got published, but that's when I was like, Oh, I want to try it. (laughs) Um, Right. But about the business side of it, because I think people don't talk about it enough um, because it's hard. I think (laughs) for to like, me as a person who's creative to be like, okay, I have to stop thinking about this now as a person who's like, I'm going to tell a great story and be like, I need to get eyes on this. How do you balance those two things? Yeah, it's a great, yeah, it's a great question. And I'll tell you, like when I first started as a baby writer in undergrad and then before I kind of started my MFA, like I was like, I'm going to write a story. Ooh, I love it. I'm going to dash it off to somebody else and they're going to love it too. And they did not love it, right? (laughs) Lots of rejection because it was, it was not ready. And then there were some places that did take some of the stuff and like, had I waited and worked a little harder on the revisions, would have it have been better before even they accepted it? Absolutely. But I do think that, that submitting whether you're doing it too early or, or hopefully not too late. Right. I think is a learning process in itself in the sense of like, not only are you, you got to build up some grit and some stamina for that as well. Like just looking at other literary journals and, and sending your stuff out, even with submittable, which is incredibly easy now still takes time and energy and hours. And there's this, there's this cosmic psychic thing that you have to get yourself ready to go to like send this, piece out and then it's going to wait 90 days Yep. <laughs> and you're like, am I going to feel this for 90 days? And hopefully you don't. Right. And I eventually learned the more that I submitted, the less I felt that for 90 days. Um, and so that was something that I did early on. Now I don't do it as much because I'm like you said, the balance here between getting enough space to be creative and not thinking about editing while I'm writing. Right. Cause I still need some of that creative fun energy where I'm not necessarily second guessing every single thing um, while I'm just writing. And then the whole other thing of like, Ooh, I have to look at this with new eyes. I have to look at this as eyes of like the reader uh, or a first reader or an editor at a literary magazine or journal. Like what are, what would they think about it when they first read this first opening paragraph, which is the the key, right? Um, I, I'm sure like, you know, people have said this before about how important the opening is, but it really is important. If you got somebody that's (laughs) staring down, even if they're only staring down 10 stories, they have to read in the week that opening better catch them or they've got to start thinking about that next story. They got to read. I lost the train of thought a little bit there. Um, Sorry, but yeah, the balance can be difficult. You know, I got to set up time for, for both aspects, um, both the creative and the, the business kind of side of it. Uh, and publishing in a lot of ways is a numbers game. Um, you know, you're going to have to send it out to lots and lots of places before it gets accepted sometimes. Uh, sometimes the journals, you know, they've gotten, you know, five mermaid stories and they're, you know, three out of the five are fantastic, but they're only going to keep one. And that right there is what we're talking about when it comes to a numbers game. You may have wrote a really good story, but you're competing, you know, with some other story that you don't even know that's in the queue. Uh, and then let journals can only publish so many. Like at Fractured, we can publish anywhere from like 40 to 60 a year, which is a decent amount. Um, with Uncharted, we're only publishing, you know, one story every Thursday. So uh, we're going to publish 
well, I don't know, 35 or so. Um, so the numbers are small in that regard. And then, you know, if we're getting 4,000, 5,000 submissions a year, um, you want to do just the best that you can, I think, before you before you send it out. And, and if you do send it out, it wasn't the best, you'll get more opportunities. There's lots of literary journals. Um, so you can always just, you know, submit it after revising it um, later. I think it's all just like... Um, it's a trial and error kind of thing. And like you said, we, people don't really talk about it because it, it's a hard thing to quantify. Like, it's hard to be like, I, I mean, I can give you the rote steps of just like go to submittable or go to do a trope, look up the stats, well, even find journals. Even like. just those two tips right there. Like those are massive because before submittable, before duotrope, um, like the, the ability to find and submit things, um, was harder. I mean, you're, you're yeah. looking in different ways, you know, poets and writers, or you're reading, um, writers market, writers, the giant writers yes, market books, writers yeah. markets. But now, yeah. Like, which I don't know what happened to submittables app. They used to have an app and it seems like it disappeared. Um, yeah, I think, yeah. When they changed over their system, I know they were charging for the app as well. And I don't think it was that much better than what you could just do on the desktop. So maybe that they, they realized like, Oh, it's kind of hard to charge $5. It was a $5 a month or $5 just for the app. I can't remember which, but it seemed like, well, I could just go do this on the desktop. <laughs> that might, so, maybe that's why. Um, yeah. But there are so many places now where you can get, if there's uh, this new one on Twitter called chill subs uh, that, that someone has decided to make their own kind of, things about literary journals um, and all their statistics and all that kind of stuff. And they've got like quotes and links. I thought it was really cool. That sounds cool. Yeah. Um, and then submission grinder is another one that's like Dotro, but it's free. Um, I know, I think more genre writers use that one as well. So there are places to go besides just reading every literary right. journal, right? Which is what most literary journals tell you, like read everyone. And like, if you're going to submit someplace, you probably should at least read, you know, one or two things. You at least have an idea of the, the, the feeling, the theme, the brand, if, if we want to go in that, <laughs> that direction. Well, I, that, I mean, that, that is a big part of it. Doing research that for the business side of things, um, because I know certainly that I have submitted stories to places where, uh, my story wasn't a match for what they uh, actually publish recently, even <laughs> have I failed at doing yeah. this? Um, yeah. and it's not always easy. Um, but you do have to put that research in and be like, okay, let me get some stories from this place and see what they're like. Does my story match? And I mean, I mean, honestly, sometimes reaching out and just being like, can I get a little bit more info about the genres that you're publishing? Um, those are things that I wish I'd learned a, a long time ago, but, uh, you know, you learn it when you learn it. Yeah. And I think one of the things that I do, and I think one of the things that can make this feel less like research is reading people that you love in magazine, in magazines that maybe you haven't read before. Yeah. Um, and finding those writers that you just absolutely love to read. And then finding new writers, obviously all the time as well. And then just checking out like, where are they publishing at? I mean, I would pick up a, you know, I used to pick up, you know, short story collections and be like, okay, well this story I love, where do they publish right. it? Oh, they published it in one story, right? Like, oh, I don't have anything really ready for one story, but like if I did like, and it, I, I would try to go there. Right. Cause it's a fantastic journal yep. and this story was awesome. Um, and so like, I think that's kind of the way I started too. like those people that I kind of mentioned before, like Kathy Fish or Stuart Dyback or Meg Pokras. Like I would just 
find and read their stories. And, you know, 90% of the time I loved every single thing they wrote. So then I would just go find those journals. And then again, like I said, it's less research that way. You're already reading things that you love instead of like reading it for to be like, ooh, they have a lot of ghosts. Maybe I should write a ghost (laughs) story. You know what I mean? Like it just doesn't tend to work that way. Yeah. Um, I mean, reading as much as you can obviously is a big thing. I mean, when I, I think Tin House was the first one that I got my hands on where I was like, okay, I'm going to see, I'm going to read some stories um, and kind of see if some of my stuff would fit into it. And very quickly was like, nope, (laughs) my stuff doesn't fit here. (laughs) Big yeah, and I think part of it too, a lot of people like to shut themselves down and be like, my stuff will never fit in X, Y, and Z. But you grow and change as sure. a writer. So for me, like I don't ever want to necessarily give up on a place if I love it, even if right now like my stuff doesn't fit. No, right? that's a good point. Or like it's a really stretch journal, like I'll never get in there. But then you write something that like, oh, I never like it just whatever happens, like the concept and the characters come together in a way like, oh, you've added a genre that you wouldn't normally add. And it's kind of a one off piece for you, like, but it might go someplace that you never would have thought of. Um, So I don't like to give up um, if I can. Uh, I like to just keep trying, keep trying, because in some ways, like if you're not paying, if you're not paying submission fees, like what does it cost you? Like, again, a little bit of that psychic energy, a little bit of that imposter syndrome. But if you can filter some of that out, like, again, you might get a piece someplace that you never thought you would have tried. You got in before just because it hits in a way that um, it hits for a reader or the editor has changed. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. And finding that con like that, that middle place where it's like knowing what you're writing and having a a good concept of what you're writing, knowing where it's appropriate to send it to, because yeah, if I, most of the stuff that I was writing at the time, the reason I said that, I mean, Tin House is not going to be like, yeah, uh, we want to publish your alien story. Maybe they would depending on the story, but you know, you have to take a lot of stuff into account. Right. Yeah. Right. I mean, if Jim Shepard was writing an alien story, you know, maybe they're going to publish it. Right. So there is, you're right. There is a certain thing of knowing like, Oh, like what should I send? Like the Iowa review, right. They're going to be a little different. Like, should I send my world building, you know, fantasy story, you know, with orcs building swords might not be the right place for the Iowa review. Right. right? So I think there is a point where you don't want to just like, throw you know every piece of spaghetti you got at the sure. wall <laughs> so there are some and, and i think part of that is just learning too like you love the story and going and finding a place that will also love your story yeah. as well well how or like as far as educating um uh to use your phrase baby writers uh about the not only the industry but creative aspects of of um what they're doing uh how early did that start for you? Because for me in high school, you know, I was writing fiction and I didn't really understand it as what I was doing as a kid, as you know, I'm writing fiction. Uh, I was just writing stories, but in high school I had a, a creative writing teacher who taught me some things about the process and, and some of the things that I was doing. Um, but that was kind of it. I still, <laughs> I sent an email to, um, to Iowa to the writer's workshop. And I was like, Hey, do you have to have a bachelor's degree to go there? Because I knew nothing about that entire process or world and bless 
whoever was there because they were like, yes, you need a bachelor's degree <laughs> yes. and, and responded to me very kindly. Um, how, like, when do you think that started for you to, to learn? Yeah, I think it's a, a great question. And I, I do want to, I'll push back just a little bit on the baby rider thing, just because I think I, that's what, how I would refer to myself. Oh, to okay. Uh, I'm sure anyone would refer to themselves like however they want to refer to themselves. But for me, it was just in my baby rider stage. Yep. I don't like the word amateur, I guess, is maybe why I'm trying to hide from that. Um, but anyway, that would just be a label. I wouldn't necessarily be like, oh, you're a baby <laughs> rider if I was talking to somebody else, right? It's just kind of how I felt in those moments. Yeah. Um, I will tell you, I think a lot of it was not necessarily taught to me, like even in like grad school, like even in my MFA program, like there was not a lot of stuff about publishing or how to try to make money as a writer or things that you could do or where you should try to get published. None of that was, it was more just like about the, like the work and the writing and the craft and all that was great. Um, and I just kind of was a striver. Like I said, even before, like I was trying to get stuff published in Agni and some other crazy places in 2005, 2006, when I was finishing my undergrad. Um, so like I did a lot of self-research, you know, uh, just a lot of, uh, this was before submittable. Like I was saving all the websites like bookmarked in my computer. Right. And I changed computers several times and those bookmarks would fall yeah. along with me. And sometimes I'd remember to go look at them and sometimes I wouldn't. Um, there was this really cool place called uh, the Zoetrope workshop too. That was all free that I used uh, people like Matt Bell and Kathy fish Randall Brown, um, a whole kind of Mike Young, a whole bunch of people were in there and you could read their work and put comments on it and they would read your work and you'd get comments from it. Um, and so I did a lot of that and I was just kind of like lurking and asking questions. And I, I think you got to be willing to ask people that are willing to talk to you about stuff um, that aren't maybe like super famous or super busy writing their ninth sure. novel or something. Um and just share in that kind of community. And for me, um, I'm always constantly trying to build the community that I didn't necessarily have, you know, like we're both from Indiana. So, you know, there's not a ton yep. of like writing culture and writing opportunities. Like for both of us, you can go to Butler, but it's like two hours from that, from me to go hear, you know, Liz Strout read or, um, hear somebody else read from their reading series. I drove two hours one time to hear Michael Shaban uh, read and speak Yeah, <laughs> because he was at Butler. <laughs> That's literally where right. I had to go. Right. But no, yeah. I, everything you just said, especially about the community and in and Indiana specifically, that is very literally one of the top reasons why I am currently sitting in front of this computer with a microphone, because I want to help make that community more, of a thing and, and talk to people and, and get to know other writers and not even for any other reason than just to be like, Hey, I recognize yeah. you. Like, let's, let's talk about the thing that we love. It's a big deal. Yeah. It, and share it. Right. Cause not very many people want to talk about writing and the thing that you love, right. Your fa it's not for your family and that's right. fine. You've got other things to talk about with your family. Yeah. Right. And, and that's the thing too, with me, as far as like my presence on like Twitter and stuff like that, like I'm not a go behind the door, closed door kind of editor. Um, I'm in a lot of ways, like very approachable, which for the most part is great. Um, you know, making all kinds of connections with people and we get to talk writing and I get to help people with writing, which I love. I love teaching. Uh, I love teaching writing. I, I hope I'm good at it. I hope I'm inspiring people to do, you know, their very best work and, and come up with stories that maybe they wouldn't have before with my generative uh, Zoom kind of sessions. 
but for me, it's just, yeah, like building that community that I didn't have. So I'm still very open on congratulating everyone on their successes. I love seeing other writers be successful. Uh, I love sharing in that. I love sharing in the misery of it as well. And, and I, I love story and narrative and I love talking about story <laughs> and narrative. So I'll find any opportunity to do that. Oh, yeah. And, and I think that was part of just what I was doing. You know, I, I read so many author interviews when I first started writing, just because like, I felt like they were talking to me, even though they, they weren't right. And that's one of the things I love about podcasts now is like, you listen to a podcast and you feel like, you know, the person in some way, uh, I know that that's an illusion, uh, <laughs> but you know, like, this is really me just super excited to talk about writing. Um, And so like, you know, people message me on Twitter or email or want to work with me on editing and, uh, or just like want to talk about like, Hey, where should I submit this? Like I'm always open to that because I I'm thinking about literary journals all the time because I'm still in the trenches myself trying to get, you know, my stories published and read just like everyone else. Uh, Yes. And all like all of those things um, celebrating the joy and commiserating over the the misery of being at the page again and not knowing what to do. Um, but I, and the thing you said about talking to authors through an, an, an author interview, you feel like they're talking to you. That was a really big thing for me. Um, and it still is, honestly. I mean, I still read every author interview I can get my hands on. I still regularly, uh, I was... I politics and prose has an amazing YouTube channel. Uh, they do live chats with authors all the time. That's a big deal, uh, to see those things. And that's one of the things why talking to people and literally just chatting about writing, um, helps me focus on the, the thing that I want to do, even though if I'm not sitting down and writing, it helps me be like, I'm putting energy into this thing. Um, I'm carefully sort of building my existence to be this, to be this thing. And, um, it's not always just writing that does it. Right. No, I used to play basketball. It was one of the number one things I did before I started writing and kind of what you're talking about, all these things, like whether you're writing or not writing, I kind of just call it like shooting free throws. I would just go for hours and just shoot free throws for like no other gain than the fact that like, this will make me better. Right. And, and knowing eventually that like, I'm five foot nine and have really small hands. <laughs> like I was not going to go anywhere right. with this. I loved it so yeah. much. And so sometimes it's hard to get away. Like shooting a free throw costs you nothing, right? Like, I mean, it could physically, like, I, I don't want any ableism sure. to, to yeah. cross over into this. Right. But like, if you can shoot a free throw, you can shoot a free throw. Like it doesn't like mentally does not cost you anything, but for whatever reason, putting words on the page, we have this idea of perfectionism that we're always battling against and the imposter syndrome that we're always like, there is no imposter syndrome for shooting a free throw. There just, there just isn't like, if I miss, I go get the ball and I throw it up. You again. either shoot it or you don't. But when, yeah. But when you're writing senses, it's something that feels a little different. And so I, I try to tr- sometimes trick myself and just be like, Hey, you're just, you're just writing some free throws today just put yourself in the chair and write some free throws and see what happens. Um, and with flash, I can do that and feel really good about it. Um, I'll tell you with novels, it may, it feels a lot harder to be like, Oh, I've, you know, I've got to shoot, you know, a million free throws before this thing even has a draft. And for whatever reason, that feels like a heavy lift, but for flash, it doesn't as much. And I, I don't know if it's just, I feel comfortable or I know how to get my way out of a, 
when something's not quite going with a flash or I just throw it away. Like I just throw it to the side and I move on to something else and find other characters. So but there is something. There. I definitely want to talk to you about novels. Um, cause you mentioned a, a failed novel. Um, I've written two novels. Um, one of them, the second one, the first one is pure garbage, but the second one, I decided to approach it in a very flash like way where I was like, okay, mm-hmm. I'm going to write a chapter and I want this chapter to tell a really specific story. Um, but it's going to be a piece to a larger story. So I was like tricking myself. I'm like, I just have to write this chapter yeah. and it's going to, if someone reads this chapter, they would get something out of it. Um, and I did that like 15 times. <laughs> um, yeah. but at the end of it, I could still tell that it wasn't ready. Um, right. How, what's your experience with, with writing longer form and did yeah. that come before flash or is that something where you were like, okay, I've written a ton of flash stories. Now I'm going to write a novel. Yeah, it, pretty much like I, I had written some Flash and written some short stories in my first year of of my MFA. And then I was like, ooh, I'm, I don't feel like I'm taking advantage of my time here with the professors that I had. So I was like, I'm going to try to write a novel. And, and I did write 142 pages of the novel, which for me is, you know, like the longest. And, oh, I had written um, – I tried to write a novel in undergrad, and I think I wrote 115 pages of that Um and a lot of stuff just didn't have enough, you know, action or plot or anything. So, uh, but then I tried it again, you know, with a different bent, different story or whatever in undergrad with, you know, I was writing better at that point too, because I had been writing quite a bit more. Um, but I just got to the point at the end of the 142 pages and I was like, okay, now what do I like do? Like, I like I should keep, like, I've got at least 150 more to go before I can even call this. Uh, a rough draft but then like I was using all the things that I had learned to write flash at that point and was becoming I was getting a lot more success with that by 2011 I think I had published 30 flashes that year or something and so I was like you know like hardcore into flash and just loving and enjoying it and then you know a novel just felt like this, you know, like it, it wasn't just going to be shooting free throws. And it also was not going to be like the fun of <laughs> dribbling past an opponent and scoring with a layup either. Like it was some, some hard mental work where I just felt like every time I sat down with it, I was failing and I, I had to get away yeah. from that in order to keep writing. And, and there are some days when I think uh, <laughs> my wife reminds me, like, you don't have to write a novel. You can just write flash. You could just write what you love. And I was in a uh, thing with uh, Andrew Estraddle the other day for Pen Parentis. And he was like, listen, which was weird that I was getting this advice when we were on this panel together. And he was like, you know, like if you are really good at flash and you really love flash, you don't have to write a novel. And I was like, Oh, thank you for like, sometimes as writers, we, yes, like we need permission outside permission. Um, sometimes it, but like, does that mean I still won't try to write a novel? Like I still kind of want to, it just feels like something that like, it's a mountain that I need to do at some yeah. point. No, I, I understand completely. And I mean, like you, that outside permission almost where it's like, you don't have to, to do this. Like I, you love novels. I love novels. Like we there, it's just a, an inherent aspect. I think of, of readers and people who want to mm-hmm. tell stories. It's, it's this piece of art. Um, it, it just holds a lot of sway. It's, it's understandable, yeah. but yeah, you don't have to do that. I think for me, like, I love novels so much. And like you said, 
I'm still going to probably try anyways. It reminds me, there's a quote, um, Michael Shabin's one of my favorite authors since the second time I mentioned mm-hmm. him. And Wonder Boy's uh, one of the characters, Grady Tripp, he's talking about how as a writing teacher, you you tell the ones who don't have it to keep going and you tell the ones who do have it to keep going because that's that's it. Like you cannot tell them to stop. And if, even if you told them to stop and they really wanted to do it, they're not going to listen. Yeah, no, and I don't think that's ever, yeah, ever my position to do that. Like, obviously, like if if you're coming to me, especially if you're paying for any of my services, it means that you love what you're doing, or you you need to do it. There's a desi- there's a difference between love and like this. Just have to do it. And if you have to do it, uh, I mean, the ten thousand hours thing has been debunked just a little bit, but not really with writing. Like, you've just got to you've got to do it right. You've got to do lots and lots of writing, lots and lots of revising, lots and lots of reading. And if someone's willing to do that, I'm all I'm going to do is, is is cheerlead that person as much as possible. Tell them the things that I think are doing really well and the spots where I'm like, hey, maybe we could learn, you know, from this. Here are some ways that you might approach this that might be a little stronger or might be a little better for a reader um, or might take you down a different avenue. That's not like maybe this is a little conventional right now because I've seen this more um, than, than you have. And I think that in the beginning, especially when you're writing novels and all that kind of stuff, I think you have to get all that conventional stuff out, um, as well before you can revise it out. And I think that's part of it is like, I just not allowing myself to, um, write with abandon that it takes to write a novel. Um, I have a process for flash and it's not necessarily writing with abandon. Um, but I think with novel writing it is. And so, um, yeah, it's just, deciding on it is really just deciding on what you want to do and how you want to spend your time um knowing that like if you keep going and you work with other people whether it's beta readers or editors that you're paying um or anyone really just that has you know a way of looking at yourself you're gonna get better um but like also like if you don't like have this deep desire to do it and or love or can't find some fun in it at some point yeah, like maybe you want to consider not doing it. I'll, I'll be the person to, to give you permission not to do it if you want, if you need that. Um, but most people, most people don't, right? Most people just want the idea that like I should keep going, and I'm like, yeah, yeah do it, do it. keep going. Well, yeah, do I think it. we also, and this is not a uh, a thing specific to just writers, but I think one of the things, especially with writers who are or maybe struggling with the idea of if they are writers or not, or um, I think we get obsessed with the idea of success and failure of what mm-hmm. is succeeding and what is failing. My best friend, David and I would talk about this a lot um, because we both are creative people and we love making things. And we would have these conversations over and over again, sor- sort of circular conversations where it's like, well, am I succeeding at writing and right. finding out that the answer to that doesn't really matter because am I going to keep writing? Yeah. So then I might as well not worry about what success means. I should just keep doing it. Right. Exactly. Uh, I think in some ways, like it's not bullying, right? Like, it's not like, am I knocking down more and more pins every time I come out? I can tell you from Indiana, the two sports you've mentioned are the two where I'm like, (laughs) yeah, yeah, (laughs) right. And so in a lot of ways, writing is not like that. Like, I don't even, in some ways, I don't know what success is either. And the more, you know, I, I hear or, 
from from novel writers or listen to interviews with them, they say it yeah. too. Like they write a novel and they get it published, but like that's not the end for them. Like they feel that sense of success, but it's kind of waning. And then they go to the next book and they don't have that success sitting on their shoulder being like, Ooh, you can do it. You're <laughs> successful. Like it's just not the way it goes. Um, and so I think we just want to do the best writing that we can do in the moments that we're writing. And then when we're revising, give it the best chance that we can for that and then send it out. And, and, and if it gets you know published and people read it, that is a form of yes. success, but it's not one that you're going to go, Whew, yay. I'm like, I'm successful now. It's just, no, being a creative person is being a person that is hungry to create, to express yourself, and to in some mode have somebody see it, read it, look at it, which gives you just enough to move on to the, <laughs> the yep. next project. Well, your uh, so your book, uh, a collection of your flash stories called Hollow. Uh, which is published by uh, Alternating Current. Um, is it Press? Alternating Current Press? Yeah. Um, so tell me about that. Um, so in your acknowledgments, uh, you mention 10 years of starts and stops. And that's one thing I also want to talk about because um, the amount of writing that people are doing uh, before they reach a point where they do have a, a thing where they're like, oh, look, it, I succeeded at this one specific thing. Um talk about how you saw yourself through those 10 years and, and how much writing you were actually doing. Yeah. Um, a lot of stuff I think like went into the book. It had, a, you know, had different names. Um, when I thought I was going to publish it at year three or year five or year eight, um, you know, some longer stuff that then came out because, you know, it wasn't like a complete or didn't fit kind of with the other flash that was in there. Um, I mean that like, yes, yeah, so some of those stories, you know, I had written, I had published my first chat book, um, in 2014, I think kind of on a lark. I was like, Oh, let me put some together and send it to this, you know, small publisher and, um, Redbird chat books published it. And I was through the moon, but like had no idea how to promote it. No idea how to get it into readers hands. I wasn't on Twitter yet. <laughs> I was still somewhat, uh, in my baby writerhood, or at least in my baby publishing, uh, part of it. And so like, so, you know, I, I took like maybe one or two stories from that that goes into hollows as well. So the whole time I'm like, you know, writing, you know, th this, you know, novel that I'm trying to do in my, uh, MFA program. And then when I come out of my MFA program, like a lot of people, I didn't really write for, for like almost two years. I needed to have a professor and a phone call to get me back yeah. into gear, which, in some ways, like I probably shouldn't have needed, but I did need it. And so I'm thankful for that person um, to get me back on track. And so, you know, there's some time that like, hopefully my brain was generating some story thoughts and ideas and all that kind of stuff, but I wasn't actually putting words on the so page. So was that a, a, um, a literal thing where you, you needed someone to be like, Hey, you should be writing. Yeah. I had somebody that was like, Hey, you, you know, they felt like I was good enough to, that I was wasting my time by not writing at that point. And, and I was reaching out too, cause I did want to write, but they, they, I felt like, you know, I didn't do anything with the novel when I came out of grad school and then, you know, jobs took place and I was getting an alternative license to teach in high school. And so I was in, and, and then my daughter was born. And so all this stuff <laughs> was happening and in some ways, like it was easier to put the writing down because it, like I said, the, the imposter syndrome at that point had built up so high that I hadn't done enough 
writing and enough sending out to bat it back yeah. down. Um, and so that phone call really helped. Well, and yeah, then that, I started. That trying. person's awesome. <laughs> Whoever the yeah, that person that person is, yes, is a godsend and yeah. amazing. <laughs> and I'm lucky to even to know her. So um, anyway, yeah. So then it's just a lot of writing in between there and trying to get things published. And then you, your first thought is when it gets published by a lit journal that you know that's a really good story, and it is. But it doesn't always mean that it's as good as some of the writing that you're doing right. later on, right? Like I think some of the writing that I've done now versus some of the writing that I did in my first chapbook obviously is way better. And in some ways, like it should yeah. be, right? Because like I've been working so much harder. I've been working with other people. I've been reading so many stories, and so then it was a part of like who knows like what stories go in a book, right? Like no one really knows. It's this weird alchemy that you need to figure out. Like, does it fit a theme? Does it not fit a theme? And then even then, like I have more of a theme now for the book that the, for a flash collection that I'm, that I'm working on now that hopefully won't take 10 years. <laughs> I, I feel like I'm almost a third of the way through now. Um, but it had like a theme, like I'm working on like the thoughts of, or like stories that happen like just before violence kind of happens. And that's the hot spot. So that's really concrete in my head with hollows. It was not as concrete about like, what are the hollows and what are these people struggling with and how are they overcoming it? And so, you know, I have 45 stories in there, which is a lot. Um, but that's why it took so long, I think in some ways, just because like, I had to, yeah, put stories in, take stories out, get a lot of rejections from other presses um, just because the work wasn't as good or as ready or just didn't fit their catalog. Um, And so now I feel like I know just a little bit more that I've learned a lot in 10 years. So hopefully the 10 years will accelerate the next book, but I don't know. I mean, you just don't know. Sometimes you write stories and think they go together and sometimes they just, they don't go together or they're not as good as the rest of the book. Well, I mean, Getting something published, I, I really like what you said about getting something published with a with a lit mag, where you're like, okay, that that story is good, um, and then not really using that as a barometer for your later stories. Um, but also, it's it's hard to, I guess, conceptualize the the presence that you have to have, like you're writing, and it doesn't really matter if you've got something published before while you're currently working on a thing. Um, because it's not that other thing. It's something completely different. Yeah. And I, and I think that people that write novels feel that even more maybe than people that are writing short or story collections, flash collections, short story collections or whatever, but there's no guarantee that, that this book is going to get picked up right. either. Um, but I think that's one of the things I, that I love about lit mags and all those kind of things is that you are feeling a little bit of success and you are getting readers along the way. Where with a novel, you're not. You're not releasing any of that out. And so it's just got to be you really grinding and loving the grind and feeling good about what you're doing. Um, where with publishing, you know, short stories or flash, you get a little, you get a little, a little, you know, dopamine and it, it carries you into the next story and you kind of just keep going and then you put them in the book. Um, and then you, then you go, hey, uh, reader I don't know out there, or hopefully readers I that, that I do know or love my work here's all of this in one, one package. Could you, could you, would you please, you know, think about spending your, your money when you've got 50 million books you could buy otherwise, (laughs) would you please, you know, give this a a chance and, and and hope that the, the book together 
is a bigger part than just reading those stories separately in an online journal that you could get for free. So it is kind of a gambit that you're asking readers to, to do um, that. Like, Oh yeah, I want you to just really, you know, love this as kind of a, uh, the book is kind of a piece of art in some ways, like the, the alchemy or the accumulation of the pieces is, is bigger than any single story. Um, and that's a hard, I think it can be a hard oh, yeah. ask uh, <laughs> for sure. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the having, I think having the internet as a place that will like serve things up to you, like now I don't have to look very hard to find the stuff that I know that I like, um, especially for like already established writers or creators. Mm-hmm. The internet is basically just, throwing all of those new things at me, but you do have to do a little bit more work to find really new things, especially things you've never heard of before. Um, so Twitter being one of those ways to, to help like the community there that we, you talked about earlier um, to help say, yes, you like these things. You might like these things. And it's a really yeah. good deal to have yeah. that there. And, that's also one of the reasons why I like talking to writers is finding those things that I'd never heard of before. Right. And, you know, just as well, it's just talking as a writer, like we appreciate like people helping get things that maybe people haven't heard out to other people um, because, you know, we've built our community and we're sharing in our community and we're buying books in our community and reading writers from our community, but they are small presses um, and they independent presses are hard to get out to as many people as you'd like to get them out to. Um, so anything that kind of helps jog past your regular group, which are really grateful and really blessed to have anyone buy your book and especially, you know, your friends or your community, your writing group. But also there's a, there's this desire as a person that's published a book to go beyond that if possible, uh, and read really great things. I, I just want to mention, um, the secret lives of the church ladies by Disha Philaw, which was published by Western, uh, Virginia University, like in some ways, this is kind of a small press as well, even though it's a university press. And that book is amazing. And I hope that more and more people read that book um, as well. Um, it won the story prize. So it, it can be hard, you know, to get short story collections out to as many people as you'd like to get them out to. So any little thing helps um, as far as that goes. So I appreciate you having me on uh, the podcast today. And then also giving me a chance to talk about other, you know, books and writers that I love as well, because I hope that they find their desired readers. Yeah, as I well. love that. And that's one of the reasons why this is a, a great trans uh, transition. Um, Fractured lit and uncharted um, serving the, the role that they do in, in getting new writers out there. Talk to me how you arrived there. How did your, um, you know, your writing career and your life leads you to, to those two places being, uh, being what they are. Yeah. That's a great question. Um, so, you know, undergrad and then went to MNFA program, a low residency MFA program, which was the only way I could do it. So my wife wouldn't have to move and I was already had started teaching jobs. So luckily I could get, you know, I could work and <laughs> do the MFA at the same time. Um, at some point in between there, I had worked, I wanted to read, like I was reading lots and lots of stories for, for literary journals. And so then I was like, Oh, I want to be a reader on a literary journal. I want to be like on the inside. I want to see like what the stuff they're getting. And so the first place I worked for was this um, literary journal. And this before some was called girls with insurance, 
which is a fantastic is title. Memorable. I love, love, love the title. It does not exist anymore. Um, but one of the hard parts of that is they, they wanted more submissions. And so their editors were in charge of getting, you know, almost doing some solicitations and being like, Hey, come submit to our journal, which is pretty natural. But I didn't know anyone really. I was just getting started. Um, and I, you know, like I just didn't know anybody. So I read there for a while until it got to the point where I was like, my desire to want to find people to publish and my own writing, like it just didn't work out timing wise. So I, I left there and then eventually I, I read, um, Oh, I was published by split lip magazine in 2016. And I was like, and the editor I worked with, um, Caitlin was just so amazing. I was like, Oh, I want to be a part of this team. Like she's a fantastic editor. I'd like to get back into reading lip mag stuff again. So read for them for them for quite a while. until it got to the point where like, what I was reading just wasn't, I just wasn't moving things up in the queue very much. Um, My aesthetic and their aesthetic wasn't quite the same, which is perfectly fine. I still love their magazine. I would still love to be published there today, Um, but their magazine is much more in like some pop culture and some really, really drawn to voice. Um, And I just wasn't as drawn to that um, as a reader or or as an editor. Um, And I was looking for a way to kind of move up from like first reader to be an actual editor. Um, So again, Stopped doing that for a little while. Uh, got a craft essay, essay published with craft. And I was like, oh, worked again with an editor. And I was uh, Laura, uh, Laura Ash Spencer, Laura Spencer Ash. I feel bad that I didn't get that right. Um, anyway, she was like, yeah, come work with us. So I worked with them and, and was a first reader for a while. And then I became the section editor for Flash. Um, and I was getting to decide like what we were publishing. I was getting to work with the writers on working on edits. And everything was great. And I was loving it. Um, and then they were like, Hey, the, 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 the owner had switched, um, for, uh, craft. And I should say that it, it, we are kind of a interesting thing in the lit mag space. Cause we have seven or eight magazines underneath one owner. Um, so it's not, it's fractured and uncharted. It's also craft master's review, frontier poetry, palette poetry, and voyage, which is our YA magazine. So it's unusual to have that many magazines yeah. together, the owner and the managing editor um, were like, Hey, we want to do a a flash magazine. Are you interested in being the editor? And um, at the time I was like, yes, I absolutely do. But I'm also teaching middle school. So (laughs) can we make that work? Um, And then we did make it work. Um, I was so happy to be hired there and to be able to start making decisions about like, like who we were going to publish, what our magazine was going to be like, um, how we were going to, um, help, you know, underrepresented writers and marginalized writers and BIPOC writers, um, be published in a flash space, um, and just have this really nice mix of, you know, diverse writers and diverse stories. Um, and then we were doing so well, they felt like I was doing so well that they looked and they were like, we don't have a genre magazine. Tommy, you're a pretty good editor. Why don't you start that? And I was like, I can do that. I, I feel like I'm good at being an editor, but I'm going to have to be more of a managing editor because like, I'm not as strong in the genre world. I'm sure like a lot of people, probably you as well. Like we grew up reading genre and I love genre, but then once I had moved to like flash and like literary short stories, I had not spent as much time in the genre spaces as I had before. And so we hired some amazing associate editors that really love the genres that really helped me figure out the stories that we're going to publish. I think we've published some really cool 
uh, exciting, interesting, thrilling kind of stories that you don't want to stop reading over at Uncharted. So that's that's the short version. <laughs> it may not have felt short, but that was, uh, that was short. That's aw- that's awesome. Yeah, um, both places. Um, well, I, I I'll be honest. I didn't know all of that was under under craft. Um, I, I wasn't aware of that. That's re- that's really cool. Um, both places have awesome uh, fiction. Everyone should go check out uh, Uncharted and Fractured Lip. Um, but I think it's UnchartedMag.com, right? Yes, and, uh, yes. And it's FracturedLit.com as well. Um, a lot of awesome flash fiction. Um, what are you reading? What do you? I always lo- I love fi- finding out what someone's reading. Are you reading a lot of flash? Um, other out, outside of work. yeah. So uh, let's let's maybe specify. yeah outside of work, right? Um, so I I love novels and I love to get entrenched in a novel. Especially I love I every night before I go to bed I read. Doesn't matter like if like somehow I've been pushed to like eleven thirty. Like hey, I'm still going to read something before I go to bed. So I, I'm always reading thirty minutes to an hour before I go to sleep. Um, it's the one true comfort of my entire life is just reading. I love reading. Um, so I just finished Wanderers by Chuck Wendig, uh, which is a 780 page book, but it felt like it was like 350. Uh, it just was great. The pacing was amazing. I really love the setting and the world building and it's kind of a pandemic novel. Um, so somebody was like, I don't know how you read almost 800 pages of a pandemic novel, but like, I just sunk into the characters. I loved, yeah. What do you done there? Um, and then now I'm reading, um, where the crawdads sing, uh, which, you know, has published over like 2 million. And generally sometimes I'm a little afraid of these bestsellers that have sold like millions and millions of copies. Like how good is the writing? Cause I do have a, you know, literary bent and I do have a, a bent of like, I care more about character than I do world building, but this is a really well-written book. Um, it's got this, you know, like dual timelines, uh, with a mystery. And so now I see like, uh, for me, I'm kind of like, I'm reading it for enjoyment, but I'm also reading like, oh, like this might be like, this is a way to write a really good book. Um, and so, yeah, that's, those are the last two things um, that I read. I'm also reading um, this uh, short story collection that's uh, Flash. It's only 100 word stories by Robert Scalato. Um, and so I am, I'm prepping to write a 100 word story craft guidebook. Uh, so a guidebook on how to write 100 word stories um, for ad hoc. Uh, yeah. I signed the contract with ad hoc um, fiction, which is out of like England. Um, so I'm, I'm prepping for that as well. So, <laughs> and you also teach fiction classes. We've mentioned that briefly. Yes. Um, I also, yeah, I teach a lot of my own kind of classes, either uh, async Renes, um, where I give prompts and, and people write and we, we just talk about all the positive things that they wrote uh, and those with those things. I also do some uh, like hour and a half, two hour or generative Zoom classes where I uh, have model text that I break down. And I give some prompts and people write stories. Uh, and then the great thing is like people keep coming back and be like, oh, I wrote this in a Tommy Dean class. Uh, and I got a published here. I wrote this in time, and like that's super cool to see um, just how that kind of spreads out. Um, and then what else am I doing? Uh, I'm doing like a flash mentorship kind of thing. I hate that word mentorship, but uh, kind of a longer six week work with writers. Um, that's through the Dallas Writing Workshop that'll start in April. Uh, who else am I working with? Lounge writers. I'm going to teach a class in May. 
Um, and I think that's it for now. Um, yeah, I had, I took a break cause I worked, I did a lot of classes at the end of 2020 and I was like, I'm going to take a break and work on my own writing from like January to, to April. So I'm mostly doing that. Um, I guess the other thing that I'm doing is I'm doing a free two, uh, two free sessions of on March 14th to kind of celebrate hollows coming out. I'm going to give a, yeah, I'm going to teach two classes uh, for free. Use some of my stories as prompts instead of doing just like a regular old reading where people just listen to me read for like an hour or something. Um, I really want to work with writers on, you know, getting, you know, writing with them instead of just reading at them for, (laughs) so hopefully people will be excited about that. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. I have a chat group. I was like, Hey, I don't want to just read like, what should I do? And they're like, yeah, you should, you know, combine your, your kind of generative class with like a reading or something. And I was like, Oh, well, let me just, yeah. Use my, which it feels really egotistical. Like I don't really feel great about using my own stories that way, but I think it's a better way to kind of um, work with the stories and kind of promote the book instead of just like, I'm going to read. I think it, I think it hits a lot of awesome stuff. Uh, You can promote the book that way. You can also have uh, fun, creative discussions about it. And somebody might say something about a story and you might be like, Holy crap. I never thought about that. And there's, yeah, that's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think it should, hopefully it should be fun. Yeah, hopefully it should be a fun kind of community building activity. Yeah. yeah. Um, as we're wrapping up here, um, tell everyone where they can find you online, um, where they can find your books, all the all the great stuff, where, where they can find you. Awesome. Yeah. Um, so we talked about Hollows. Um, you can pre-order slash order, depending on when this uh, podcast comes out, um, over at Alternating Current press um they have a square site up there uh it's also linked all over my uh i think bio and and penned in my <laughs> twitter uh you can find me on twitter at tommy dean writer um i spend lots and lots of days there so reach out and contact me if you want to talk about writing because i'll be there um i have a website it's uh tommy dean um i have a Substack that i try to put something out once a month um it's just i don't remember what the url for that is uh, Tommy Dean Substack would probably be fine. Um, I I break down Flash uh, in the ways that I think that they work, and in ways that I think writers can use some of those um, craft moves for themselves. Um, we talked about FracturedLit.com, UnchartedMagazine.com. I think those are all the places that I that I am. Uh, <laughs> and I'll include uh, almost all of those links um, in the show description for this, uh, which should be up on every single podcast platform that I can possibly get it onto. Awesome. I appreciate that. And I should also say I have a, ch- a dystopian uh, flash chat book uh, called Covenants that's out with ELJ editions that came out in November of 2020. Uh, there's still plenty of copies of that. I have copies I can sign and mail out Excellent. as well. That's awesome. Uh, well, I appreciate you sw- uh, swinging by and chatting with me about flash. Um, as you know, I love it too. So getting to talk with you about it has been super awesome and uh, appreciate all your insights. Thank you so much for giving me a chance, yeah, to talk writing. Uh, it's just been great. I love your questions. Uh, I've had a great time, and uh, hopefully, we'll yeah, talk about you know we'll talk about Flash yeah, more in the future. Absolutely. Once again, thank you so much to Tommy for stopping by and chatting with me. Um, after we recorded, I, I told him I honestly could not stress how big of a deal it is to me to to find someone else from from where I'm from uh, to, to talk about writing in a way that I don't really get a chance to do that often. Um, 
you know, I have a lot of close people in my life that don't really in, um, interact with writing in the ways that I do, and, and that's totally fine. Um, but when you find someone who does, uh, it feels pretty awesome. Uh, thanks again, Tommy, for, for stopping by. Please go to his Twitter, at Tommy Dean Writer, to check out his stuff. That will link you basically to everywhere you can find. But also, as I mentioned, I'm going to have links in the show notes. So wherever you downloaded this, you should be able to find links to uh, the relevant sources. Uh, check out my website, austinrwilson.com. Again, that'll link you everywhere, but also my Twitter, ledger underscore podcast, and Austin R. Wilson. Those places will link you to all of my stuff. I really appreciate you stopping by, and I hope to be talking to you and talking to someone else that you're listening to here in the near future. Thanks. Thanks.